Welcome to Real World Enterprise Architecture. My name is Reggie. I make my living as an enterprise architect for a multinational corporation. And on this podcast, I discuss the practical ins and outs of enterprise architecture in the real world. I was in a meeting a while back and a colleague of mine said something I disagreed with. And I don't mean just a little bit. We were in totally different hemispheres on, on this topic. And what really surprised me, what, what really took me back, I got back, I guess, was that I have a lot of respect for this guy. He's really a well-respected engineering executive. He's one of our best. We were discussing some big transformations going on in our company. Now, look, the fact that we're making some big transformations, uh, some companies might refer to what we're doing as digital transformation, but that's really just the latest version, the latest buzzword, if you will, the latest brand of transformation. Well, the fact that we're doing that isn't any big secret. Uh, Companies all over the world are doing that. It's not even novel, the fact that we're doing it. But look, we're in the midst of um, big changes, just like lots of other companies uh, are all over the world. Enterprises change all the time. Some of these changes are big, uh, maybe even disruptive, but most of these changes are are just small and incremental changes. Change is required all the time. It's required in order to keep the enterprise healthy and vibrant. Now, Some enterprises get complacent and they change when they have to, when they're forced to, when change becomes a matter of survival and and they wait because change is hard, but the best enterprises do it continually. Anyway, we were talking about how to manage some of these changes and I was laying out the loosely coupled uh, approach, the guidance-based approach that I've advocated on uh, several previous episodes. The engineering vice president wanted a much more structured approach. He argued that we design and build large complex systems all the time. And he didn't see how this was any different uh, than what we were doing in those areas. Now, everyone in the meeting seemed to agree with him. And um, again, that, that surprised me. What they all missed, and I really do think it's easy to miss this because it is very subtle is that uh, enterprises can fool you into thinking they're just like other systems because they have all the characteristics of true systems. There's just one aspect of an enterprise that makes it fundamentally different than other kinds of systems. An enterprise is an open system. It's not a closed system. And the techniques that we use on closed systems, uh, the way we treat them, it just, they just don't, those techniques don't work on open systems. So why is it that most of the people in the group saw it one way and I saw it another. Well, I think it really comes down to a fundamental difference between complex and complicated. Now, look, the engineering vice president was correct. We do build large-scale complex systems. We do it all the time. That's how we make our money. We build some of the best in the world. I really believe that or I wouldn't do what I do. But there's just one catch. Most of these things we build, most of these products are not really complex. They're just really, really complicated. Now, the enterprise that builds those products, on the other hand, the systems, uh, technologies, the data processes, and people um, that are used to build those products. Now, that system, that enterprise is complex, and it makes all the difference in the world. 
Go out and do a quick web search on the difference between complicated and complex systems, and you'll find a handful of articles. And in those articles, they will list the difference between a complex system and a complicated system. And what you'll find is probably half a dozen or upwards of a dozen and a half characteristics that really are different. I could list off you know, a handful of articles and academic papers, but you can find the information for yourself just as easily. It's, it's, it's not hard to find. And, and, and look, if you got that kind of curiosity, uh, I think you should do it for yourself. You should read those for yourself. One of these articles alone rattled off uh, something like 15 terms that require more than a little bit of nuanced understanding. They use terms like emergence and endogeneity and nonlinearity. But for me, it comes down to three basic things. First, complex systems are open, whereas complicated systems are closed. A closed system is one that has a well-defined set of inputs and outputs. It has a well-defined set of uh, internal elements, and those elements interact with each other in a well-defined way. Open systems are very different. The inputs and outputs vary a lot depending on the situation. The elements that make up those systems, the internal elements, come and go all the time. And the way in which the elements interact with each other depends on a lot of variables. Some of those variables we can understand, but a lot of them we we can't. We don't even know that they're variables sometimes. Okay, secondly, complex systems resist cause and effect analysis, whereas complicated systems can be reduced to uh, a series of cause and effect behaviors. Uh, we can understand them. With complicated systems, even really large and, and, and really complicated systems, we can reduce the overall system behavior to a series of interactions between uh, the system elements. In other words, for a known set of inputs, we can count on uh, producing a known set of outputs. Complex systems resist that kind of uh, analysis, that what we call reductive analysis. Uh, we simply can't understand enough about their internal behaviors or how they interact with their environment to really and truly understand any sort of cause and effect relationship. And the third difference is that complex systems are constantly changing, whereas complicated systems change only when we uh, consciously change them, consciously change their internal components or their external interactions. Complicated systems allow themselves to be locked down to a specific configuration, a knowable configuration of the internal elements and element interaction rules and uh, external interfaces. Complex systems, on the other hand, um, are constantly changing, so much so that it really is practically impossible to lock them down enough to fully understand them. So what do we do? Just throw our hands up and admit defeat, uh, except, the inter- except the fact that the uh, enterprise is just one big mess of chaos. Well, no. What we have to do is stop pretending that an enterprise is a closed system, and we have to treat it like the open system that it is. In all large systems, really large systems, we have to think about the local and the global, and we have to think about them simultaneously. We do have to consider what's going on in a particular region of the system. So in and around a particular element or a some cluster of elements or subset of elements. This is just as true for uh, an open system 
as it is for a closed system. So it's just as true for something like an enterprise as it is for something like a car. The differences in how the global and the local uh, are connected to each other. For a closed system, we can tie the local and the global together in a in a fairly explicit way. In fact, most closed systems tend to be hierarchical. So, you know, if you think about a, a car, you have a car, the car is composed of an engine and a transmission, uh, a body, an, inter- an interior, uh, so on and so forth. These things all have to work together. They really can't be separated in any, any practical way. So there is a sort of additive effect, uh, it, not necessarily a uh, addition effect, but uh, you know this additive effect in which uh, there's a prescribed way and that the parts work together to create the whole. We often say that the characteristics of the whole can be reduced to understanding the parts and how they interact with each other. In other words, the whole is the sum of the parts. Now, that's not the case for an open system. In an open system, well, open systems have what we refer to as an as emergent properties. The the properties of, uh, of, of an open system appear to emerge and surprise us. We often say that an open system, the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Now, of course, this isn't exactly true. It can't be true if you think about it because it, it would just be illogical. But what is true is that the, uh, the whole is greater than our understanding of the parts. The parts, and now in system terminology, we refer to these as system elements um, or components or subsystems or, you know, things like that. Uh, the parts are always changing in an open system, uh, like I said, and they're always changing in with respect to composition and behaviors. So when we try to do a reductive type analysis, like we do for closed systems, the results don't seem to compute. And so we conclude that uh, the sum is, uh, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. What that means is that it's it's nearly impossible to explicitly uh, connect the global system properties to local element properties. And by nearly, I really mean um, totally, at least in any practical way. But what we can do is accept that our understanding of how the global and local relate to each other is fuzzy. And we can attempt to evaluate the local in the context of the global. So what does that look like in the real world? Uh, Maybe let's look at an example because I I think that will help. Let's take, for example, uh, the production rate for a factory, for a specific product or you know, more realistically, uh, a, a set of products in a, in a manufacturing enterprise. I use the word enterprise in this case uh, instead of a company because the enterprise in this example extends beyond the walls of the manufacturer to include a multi-tier supply chain. In this example, there are a lot of aspects of the enterprise that can be locally optimized. For, for example, the assembly line or the supply chain or the ordering system um, let's say we've got an ordering system that allows customers to customize the configuration of the product they're ordering. Now, even if we're looking at a single product uh, that the factory makes, the relationship between the supply chain, assembly line, the ordering system could be very complex and, like I say, open. And and then when we add multiple products into the mix, the problem gets even more complex. In fact, I would say exponentially more complex. Regardless, we still have to optimize each one of these areas with respect to their own constraints and environment, 
and we also have to optimize the enterprise in a total sense, in a global sense. So we have to do local optimization and tuning. We have to do global optimization and tuning. The problem is each of these areas are constantly changing in response to real-world dynamics. They're, they're being adjusted and tuned to do the, the thing that they need to do in the enterprise. And the, the, and the dynamic relationships are very, very complex. Now, if we tried to attack the problem this way from a reductive approach, where we looked at the whole as really being a sum of the parts, uh, trying to understand in detail how everything affects everything else, we wouldn't be successful. We, we, would, we would fail. I can guarantee it. On the other hand, we can employ some guiding mechanisms, some of the guiding mechanisms I talked about in previous podcasts to to shape those improvements. We can use a relationship map to map key processes and systems and data that affect the production rate. We can use roadmaps to guide technology investments and process changes. We can employ standards to improve efficiency and effectiveness in our information exchanges. Uh, and reference architectures, we can use those to guide the implementation of improvements. So there is a way to look at the local and the global simultaneously uh, in an open system, in a complex system, in an enterprise. But we have to do it in a loosely coupled way. We can't understand how everything affects everything else, and trying to do that is, as I often say, a fool's errand. I've heard it said uh, more than once that an, that enterprise architecture is more like urban planning than designing a system. And, and if you think about the list of guiding mechanisms uh, that I rattled off, that I just rattled off, it certainly supports that notion. As enterprise architects, we can't control everything. We can't govern everything. We architect the enterprise uh, by guiding its implementation. And that way, we can make sure that the local mechanisms are mutually supporting, they're supporting each other in a way that achieves the overall goals of the enterprise. Now, so far, I've been talking about open and closed systems as if there were some binary categorization, as if uh, some systems are open and others are closed and there are two boxes and pick one. Uh, and in fact, that's very rarely the case. There are some systems we would fundamentally classify as closed systems and others we would classify as fundamentally open. But there's a whole bunch of systems uh, that are in the middle that spread across the spectrum from open to close. Most closed systems in the real world also have some open system characteristics. Now, when we encounter these open characteristics, they present a problem because we're dealing with closed systems and we're using tech, the techniques we use for dealing with closed systems. We typically manage that, that risk, that open system characteristic within closed systems by imposing constraints. For example, we may lock down something artificially. Um, and, and, and in that way, we, we manage some of the open characteristics in the, in the closed systems. Conversely, uh, most open systems in the real world have uh, characteristics that are more commonly found in closed systems. We can find this in certain uh, isolated regions of the system, for example. And these closed system characteristics that we find within open systems provide us a way to simplify some of the more unwieldy uh, aspects or characteristics of these open systems. 
Now, regardless of whether the system we're dealing with is fundamentally an open system or a closed system, there's a benefit to introducing uh, some sort of closure uh, in a way that reduces complexity. So even when we're dealing with an open system or one that is has some level of open openness to it, there's a benefit to introducing some closure as a way to reduce complexity. That said, there is a limit to how much we can lock down an open system without making that open system ineffective. Lastly, even though there is a large spectrum of how open or closed the system is, enterprises live predominantly in the open systems world. They live predominantly on the open systems side of the spectrum. At the end of the day, enterprises are among the most complex, truly complex systems we know of. They are very open. They're not closed. And while they do have some characteristics of closed systems, at least in some localized areas, we really can't treat them like closed systems. They can't be architected by hierarchical or reductive design techniques. The best approach to an enterprise, to an open system, is to shape and guide the elements of it, simultaneously performing uh, explicit uh, localized designs, in other words, designing uh, local aspects, and guiding the localized designs toward global goals and objectives of the enterprise. Well, that's it for now. So go out there and have yourself a good day. And remember, people are people and the world is a messy place. So don't be afraid to get a little dirty. Bye.